welcome to Letterboxd Book Club. My name is Claire. And I'm Mackenzie. And today we are back with the third installment of Sarah J Mass's Throne of Glass series. We're going to be talking about Air of Fire. Really excited for this one. I think it's one of my favourites. This is my favourite. Oh, cute. This is my favourite book. <laughs> Twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, we'll get to why in a moment. But yeah. of course, <laughs> as per usual, Kenzie, would you please read the blurb to get us re-immersed? Yes, I would love to. So, consumed by guilt and rage, Selena can't bring herself to spill blood for the King of Adarlan. She must fight back. The immortal queen will help her destroy the king, but for a price. As Selena battles with her darkest memories and her heart breaks for a love that could never last, can she fulfill the bargain and head the almighty court of Terrison? And who will stand with her? All right, we're going to switch it up. Because normally we do, yeah, thoughts, feelings, emotions towards the end, but we feel we might do it in the beginning, just because it, it, it revs us up a little bit, gets us talking, like loosens us up a bit. So we will do that first. So Kenzie, thoughts, feelings, emotions. Thoughts, feelings, emotions. This is my oh, favourite book out of the Throne of Glass series. It's my favourite book, but I have like parts in the other books that I like more. But as a whole book, this is very well-rounded. So first off, I just want to talk about the juxtaposition of the character of Aelin from this book compared to Selina in the two previous books. Because in Crown of Midnight and Throne of Glass, she's this really powerful, confident, swagger kind of character, almost to the point of being like a bit too cocky. Whereas in this book, she is very defeated, very depressed, um, and just seems to have given up slightly on everything um like when at the very beginning of the book she's just lying on rooftops getting drunk and feeling sorry for herself yeah I agree the way she was written it she seemed incredibly miserable and like tired about everything even though her journey I feel has just begun but she's already done yeah. so much hard yards. She's already so tired. Done with everything. She just wants her answers. She just wants to do what's best. She wants to honour Nehemia's um, like legacy and oath and all that type of stuff. But everything is stopping her from doing that. Her misery and her despair was so well written. Like, I was... Every time I read about her, like, I was just heartbroken. I was like, my poor baby, just please. And then, yeah. I, f then I felt in... Sarah J Mass's other book series with a particular character I feel like she tried to replicate that sort of misery and despair and I think you know who I'm talking about but oh, I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't think it, it really hit but with Aelin slash Selena like I, I really fell for the girl you know felt for the girl so so sad I think as well like I've read a lot of things on the internet about how a lot of the characters from this like kind of started from this, sorry, and Akatar kind of all started from the same blueprint and then she, like, developed on that. So I can kind of see in a few other characters as well, like, the similarities and where they could have potentially have come from the same um, character, like, building and then gone in their separate ways. So it's interesting that it's written so well in this book and then it just doesn't quite hit as much in Akatar. Um, even though, like, there are things that would, like, make you look at Aelin slash Selena in a different light, like, when she does things that are infuriating to us as a reader, like, it just makes you feel more sorry for her, whereas with that other character that you're talking about, it just is infuriating. So without jumping ahead too much plot-wise, um, it's more towards the end of the book where she kind of is sacrificing herself for everyone else. Like, she's given up, she's like, well... 
the least I can do is go out with a bang. Um, but it's only at this point that she kind of realises who she is, well, accepts who she really is, is reborn and can now access, like, deeper parts. Well, at first she accepts that she has power and learns to use it and trains with it, but now she has even more power and she can reach new... I've written heights, but it's actually depths, the way they describe it as, like, tunnelling into yourself through power. And then, yeah, in doing this, she is reborn as Aelin. Yeah, which I find interesting because this is the third book in and this is the book where it's more about stepping in in herself now. Like, because we always believed Selena to be as who she is, but, like, this is really her stepping into Aelin and her, you know, role as the lost princess slash heir of Terrison and the power, the potential power she exudes. Like, it's a real sort of middle coming-of-age moment for her. Which is interesting, again, being, you know, in the th- in we're in the, into the third book of the series now. It's just interesting how that's just happened now. Yeah, and again, with the way that Sarah J kind of constructs her series, whereas with Akatar, it's, you know, like um, Thorns and Roses, Mist and Fury and Wings and Ruin, like it's three, and then those are kind of like the separate, and then it, like I'm ignoring Frost and Starlight because it's a standalone but then from Silver Flames, like, that's the whole new story, whereas this one, I feel like from the third, like, the first two were their own story, and then these Air and Fire and insert whatever the next one is, I forget, oh, Queen of Shadows, like, they're, they're their own kind of standalone as well within, like, the story, and then it gets into the bigger, more epic stories as well in the last few. So it's interesting that she continues to stay on this way method of writing whereas you could just read like one or two you could keep going and then it's just going to build and build and build into this epic battle yeah that's also interesting because i see online a lot of people towards a series they'll be like oh it gets scratchy the first couple of books but by the third or fourth book you know it really picks up and i respect it because it's true i feel like era fire really kind of really steps it up a bit yeah. First two books is a real like kind of setting setting the scenes and all that. But then I also saw a TikTok where uh, a woman was explaining uh books shouldn't have to feel like they take it to the next level three or four se- books into a series. Like each book should be like yeah. yeah, outstanding by themselves, which I it's a conflicting because yeah. I agree with both. Like Airfire does really kickstart everything, but also it I sh- it shouldn't discredit the other two books. It shouldn't feel have to fight through reading them yeah the one but, thing yeah. i do enjoy though is that it's the same um i guess big bad all the way through yeah it's consistent like, very consistent it, yeah like you kind of introduced new big bads but they link into the main big bad i'm not spoiling it i'm trying to spoil yeah. anything for you because i know you're not done um but yeah so the big bads kind of end up as one huge big bad together whereas yeah akatai it's different ones and I was just going to say it's very a la Harry Potter. Yeah, where, yeah. Where, like, Voldemort is mentioned in, like, the first one and then the whole time is Voldemort. And this one, it's, like, the word keys, word gates. And um, I don't think Erwin is explicitly mentioned. But, yeah. But it's still, yeah, so it revolves around the same idea of the yeah. word keys and the word gates and, like, power. Yeah. Very nice. Um, My thoughts, feelings, emotions... Um. As I've said, I think Aerofire is one of my favourites so far. I find that it was incredibly well-rounded, and as I said, it, it's more of a, a good coming into your own 
story for Aelin and slash Selena. At this point, we call her Aelin, right? It, this is the book. It's just Aelin outright. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a really good balance of action and espionage and bit of, bit of humor, a little bit of fluff. And it I feel really... like maybe, sorry, like first half, she's Selena and then she's Aelin. But yeah, we can just call her Aelin. <laughs> and I, this book really does feel like it's a fresh start in terms of kickstarting the story. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's why it's my favorite. I feel it's incredibly well-rounded. Alrighty, we are going to go through our points. This book is surrounded by three different perspectives. Mm. I, I like to call, I'm just going to call them the boys in Rifthold and whatever is happening in Rifthold. Yeah. We have the perspective of witches, which is a new sort of plot implementation. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and then we have Aelin's journey in Wendlin and her missions. Um, as well, sorry, quickly in Rifthold, we are introduced to I say Adian. Yeah, Adian. Might be Aiden, yeah, Adian. Um, who is Sil- Selena's cousin and I'm just going to spoil it all right now and just say that he appears to have one of those black rings that the king um controls people with but because he is demi fey so his father is fey um he can sense that there's something wrong with it so he just wears a replica and he's actually secretly double crossing the king the whole time it's a big thing um it's not that big of a thing actually but um we get over it selena's cousin good stuff yay (laughs) <laughs> and and with that, I guess we, we should just kick it off to the boys in Rifthold. And this is where we meet. Yeah, Aiden. Aiden. I saw someone call him, like, Aiden. And, like, mm. but it makes sense because Aelin and Aiden, like, it's it sounds... It, I know, but why would she put the O there? I know, but, like... Or, it would, or the it, I. Like, either pick the I or the O. You can't have both. <laughs> why is Kale spelled C-H-A-O-L? You mean Chol. <laughs> Chol or, or Chael or Jail. <laughs> I initially thought... I was like, no, Aiden's bad. Aiden, I'm calling him Aiden. Aiden is bad. I immediately, from the get-go, I just didn't trust the guy. And until he said... Yeah, like, I thought we were having another, like, Archer situation. Yeah, because, like, you can't trust nobody around Sarah, you know? You don't know... Everyone's playing each other. No one <laughs> communicates. No one trusts each other. It's great. Yeah, and it was funny when Aiden said that, you know, the ring smelt funny or weird when I think Kale asked him about the ring. Why yeah. he wears it, and he's like, "Yeah, smells weird, funny." I made a replica, but knowing what I know now, because I'm just about to finish Empire of Storms, I just think, how did the king not know that it took so long for the king to realize Aiden Aiden is not wearing the real one? Yeah, because surely he would be able to sense the power as well. Yeah, but oh well. So we have the Dorian Kale Aiden dynamic is an interesting one, um, because and Kale is always kind of sniff out Adian and like figure out what he's up to it's like that's fan behavior sir kale as a whole is always just one no three steps behind everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah just get good (laughs) he just he's not good at his job and Adian is also known as the wolf of the north which is really cool um and also known as adalan's whore we all know we love (laughs) whores we are all about it Interesting that Sarah uses that um, term, yeah, so consistently. Otherwise, he seems like a pretty honourable person. Um, what, from, from what we learn, he is that he does love his cousin and he will serve his cousin. Did you 
get a little bit of the incesty feels from this. I did because it's it's very much unwavering love and love. affection and loyalty, and I did get incestuous vibes. So I know as well that Rowan and Aelin are related. We'll get to Rowan later, but like very very distantly, and he says they're like they they share more DNA with like a stable pig than with than they do with each other. Um, but then. Adian is like her first cousin. Like yeah, her, direct, yeah, direct, direct family, direct relative. They grew up together essentially, and he's just like like it's a little bit beyond unwavering love. Like the way he talks about it and what he do and like mm. how he like if he dies or whatever, like he just wants to see her like one more time. Like, but yeah, we learn all about that as well in the in the coming books. So can't wait to talk about that again then. Yes. Dorian is spending his time in Rifthold figuring out his magic and also kind of mulling over the idea of, like, demons and word marks and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and very much on, like, a self-discovery. Yeah, he's actually doing pretty well. He's handling himself quite well since uh, Aelin left. You know, good for him. He doesn't need to be worrying about anybody else but himself. It's a a good type of selfishness for him. Just to sort himself out. His own self-care, self-love. This is him. This is his uh, Europe gap year trip, where he find, <laughs> where he finds himself, where he tries. This is to. his Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. And with that, he does meet uh, a healer lady of the castle, and he does fall in love with Sorsha. Because he will fall in love with a pole if it looked at him the right way. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he just he appreciates beautiful women. Like what a king we stand. Like in every. Every, sorry, every new woman he comes across, he falls in love with. Yeah. It's accurate. <laughs> it's very accurate. It's like, it's what, three out of three? Yeah. Um, but yeah. How did you feel about that little blossoming relationship? Like, I enjoy romance as much as the next person, but I felt like it was more like that was his rebound, kind of, and he was just kind of using it to get over Selena, and then because she's gone away, like, it was a love of convenience, and because, like, she was helping him as well, like, she was being... Um, his saviour, and I will talk about Sorsha being killed. <laughs> so Sorsha gets killed off at the end of the book. So I don't like that their romance was built up for the whole book just for her to die because, like, Sarah is too afraid to kill any main characters, but she'll kill off the side characters willy-nilly. It's very um, a la Aelin, or Selena and Nehemia. Like, it's the plot device that drives him because, you know, he, he's always remembering... He's always remembering this death and using it as yeah. a way. And why couldn't she have just been a friend to help him? Like, if you want to kill her off. And again, yeah, why introduce really a pivotal character at this point to Dorian? Just be like, oh, no, I'm going to use you for one book. Like, make us love her more. Give her more story and then kill her off. Don't give her one book. Were you ever suspicious of her? Like, I must have skimmed through her, her part. It turns out that she uh, was writing letters to the Rebellion and the King finds out and that's how she ends up getting executed. I think I skimmed past the parts where she, like, is scrunching up letters into the bin because that's how it was found out. Yeah, were you ever suspicious of any particular espionage activity from Sorsha? I don't think I was. Yeah, I thought she was spying on Dorian for the King. Yeah, but, like, I didn't think anything else, really. While Dorian is dealing with his romance with Sorsha, Kale is chasing Adian around like a lost puppy not really like a lost puppy, but investigates him, um, which leads Kale to revealing that Adian is actually 
double spying almost. He's working for the King of Ardawan while also working for the growing rebellion in the name of Aelin. And Kael is pretty disturbed to find out that he had to re-encounter like Archer's rebel men because they mm. kidnapped Kale and then beat him up quite severely. Yep. So Kale is quick to tr- to not trust Aiden, Aiden. I keep wanting to call him Aiden. Um, <laughs> Aiden and and that whole uh, party. But they do eventually kind of trust each other, which is nice. And it's almost like a, a cool little dynamic duo that we never knew we needed. I feel it was pretty good. We love masculine friendship. We do. And like, it's... It's like the thing with Kale and Dorian, like they have such a good brotherly bond, but like a good love, friendship love as well towards each other. And that's good to see. Like, I think in one of the books they say they love each other, which is, which, which was awesome. So, and then throughout the book, we learn Duke Parrington and Roland, who we don't really care about anymore. Uh, I don't think he's mentioned after this book. No, no. Him and all, <laughs> that, that whole posse ends up going to, I think they go to Monrath. Morath. Morath. No end. But yeah. There is, so, oh, fuck me. Oh, my God, I just... <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> oh, where's for, Sue for, gone? Are you for, still there? For the benefit of this, the um, podcast, Kenzie was... We share a Google Doc, and Kenzie was retyping Morath because I spelt it Monrath, and then she ended up retyping it as Monrath, and therefore the chaos. Anyway, I thought the thing... Um, no, I don't want to end this meeting. Oh, fuck. Okay, sorry. Parrington and co. Go. Yeah, so, Cyril likes to forget about characters. There is this character and there is another one coming up. <laughs> sorry, Claire is aggressively pointing at the screen saying, I know, I know. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Crying. <laughs> Just um, look away. <laughs> okay, sorry. So Roland is completely forgot about, never to be mentioned again. But with the other character that gets forgotten about for what five books, um, I think in the last book there's a one sentence that says like their name is like searching in another land or something, like just throws it away. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a good um, level of consistency to have, I don't think. Like, just don't introduce all these characters if you're going to forget about them. Yeah, it's just a lot. She has a lot going on, I think. Sarah, if, I want to see, like, what her... Because surely she has, like, documents where it's just, like, for continuity. Like, character names, yeah. where they're from, blah, blah, blah. I would love to see that. Like, I would honest. have, like, a blackboard, chalkboard, whiteboard thing going on. <laughs> yeah, with, like, red string pointing to everywhere. Yeah. Characters to only never be seen again. Um, also throughout the book, with Kale and Adian, they encounter Murtor and Ren Ellsbrook. They are, they're from Terrison and stuff as well, they're right? They're lords of Terrison. And so subsequently they are all in all for developing this rebellion in the name of Aelin. And they are assisting the lads with information and they're all on a mission to try and figure out how the king essentially disabled magic. I was really kind of gobsmacked with how he managed to do it. Um, the three towers triangulated to a point that just covers the whole of Irelia. Uh. I thought it was really cool. Because, you, you know, leading up to this book, you know, you just, you think, well, how did he manage? Like, yeah, he used the word keys. So there's one in Rifthold. 
There's one in Morath, and there's one in Just the Wastes. Yeah. The Wastes? Yeah, the Frozen Wastes. Yeah, that's a big old triangle. That's really not a lot of land to cover that, though. But good no. On. But, yeah, he managed to do it. I, I suppose having a word key as well helps... He does not have a word key, does he? He does. No, no, he, he, no he just he he just uses the towers, yeah, to disable magic, which is really cool. And I really liked the little experiment that Kale did with Dorian for Dorian to kind of figure out how to destroy it, or no, yeah. to figure it to figure out how how it comes to be. It was really cool. Um, and then yeah, in Riftold, yes, yeah, Sorsha dies. Then Adian gets captured. Um. Which I want to bring up another point. I feel like the king was never really suspicious of Adian's loyalty because being Ardalan's whore, he was fighting in battles in the name of Ardalan. He was slaughtering, you know, folks, his own people and that type of thing. Anytime he, the king asked him about his bane, which is his own personal kind of army. His legion. He always was all like, oh, they're coming or they're, they're scattered, but they're meeting at some point and then they're going to come here. Like, but they never came. Like, he always put it off which I should have realised that he was kind of on the good good side because it Yeah, would... you kept saying they're, like, stuck somewhere and, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, pretty clever to kind of, you know, keep it keep them distracted so he wouldn't have to use them again. But, yeah, so, yeah, then Adian gets captured and then Kale runs away and then Dorian gets collared up by the word collar. I know. Poor baby. So then he's possessed... I think that's the easiest way to explain it. He's, like, possessed yeah. by a Valg. Yeah, by a Valg demon. And he was so heartbroken when Sorsha died. But it's like, you only knew her for a really small amount of time. And then this, <laughs> then this is what's going to drive you for the rest of the series. <sighs> is it really enough? And then, yeah, that's when we learned, yeah, Sorsha was writing letters to Dorian's friend, or a fr- friend of Dorian or something. And it turned out to be Ren she was writing to, I believe. Yeah, Ren Allsbrook. And, yes, everything just goes to shits for them, unfortunately. When Kale manages to escape, abandons his post as captain of the guard, and he is off on his own now, I guess, <laughs> journey. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> but also, like, he ran like a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not very good at tussling. To be fair, if you were surrounded by an enemy, a now-known enemy, would you want to have stayed and tried to fight them? No. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Don't be too harsh. Alrighty, the next point of view that is consistent throughout this book is the point of view of the witch clans and the witches. I personally did not really care about them. I skipped slash or and or skimmed a lot of their chapters. Again, there's just so much content that this, like, it's not a large book. It's only, I'm going to see how many pages it is. It's only 500, I'll say this, like, it's only 567 pages, as if that's, like, a normal size book. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, but it's not, like, I feel like, again, content-wise, there's because it's over a short time. Like, I reckon it's probably over less than a year, like, maybe less than six months of time. Because Aelin was in Winland for two weeks before Rowan before. picked her up. They yeah. In the other books, they always described it as spring, in the spring. So, like, maybe yeah. it's a three-month thing, I would say. Maybe, yeah. So, for how content-heavy it is, not a lot of time passes... And, like, you're getting sucked into this story and then you're going to introduce another viewpoint. Like, we get it. The king is evil. The king is doing evil things. You don't need to give us another 13 witches. <laughs> yeah, I was skimming, skipping them because I wanted to get to Aelin and her journey. Yeah, I wanted to get to the main story. 
But I did, I ended up getting the gist of everything. So quick little rundown for those who also haven't read The Witches. But I must say, <laughs> onwards, from Empire, um, from Queen of Shadows onwards, I did read a lot of The Witch chapters. It's just this one. Yes, yeah, so it was just this one. But, um... So basically, the king was gathering all the witch clans to uh, train them to and develop a legion of flying witches with wyverns, um, leading them into battle. And then there were other sorts of training, which determines who becomes the wing leader. We learn that Manon Blackbeak, she is the heir of the Blackbeak uh, witch clan, and she wins, so she is the wing leader, so she gets a nice little commanding role. And of course, she has that little story of when she claims her wyvern, it's the small, runt, gentle one that, you know, doesn't seem to be wanting to battle, but it will battle strong. I think Toothless from How to Train a Dragon. A sweet boy. Just wants to fly around. And, um, Just wants to be loved. Exactly. It's the gentle giant, almost. And then there's other, like, intersectional witch history between, like, Blue Bloods and Crotians and uh, Yellow Legs and all oh, that type of Croatians. stuff. Oh, Interesting. I call them the Crokins. Crokins? Oh, I just... Crokins would, would work. Although I do get kind of confused about the different differentiation between them all. Um, but anyway, that's just oh, me. Oh yeah, I've got no idea. And then Baba Yellowlegs' death, if we remember from Crown of Midnight that Selena killed, uh, that gets brought up. And now they're on the hunt for Selena as well. So Is it in this book as well we're introduced to a lead Logan? Yep, yep, I, I understand. We'll get to that. We'll circle back to this because I think I know why when we eventually talk about Aelin. And her journey. Bubba's death resonates with all the witches and yes, so they're being moved about. Um, we learned that the king is like developing um, creatures in different parts of the continent for yeah, he's his armies. Growing his own his own army of creatures. Our creatures, yeah, Ilkin. We don't really know about that until Oh well, shoot me in the bum. Oh well. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in. <laughs> don't listen to this unless you've read the entire series <laughs> but yeah and that's all i really got of the um yeah the witches and yeah manon has developed her 13 squad girl squad of witches and i only know astrin as her second they have some arguments oh, throughout. second third second third second third hit hit yeah Ugh. they're very violent people they're so violent aggressive <laughs> and immortal and and beautiful as well. But, like, also not completely human either. No. Now let's get to the reason why we love this book so much, I guess. Aelin's personal journey. Aelin Galathinius. Yeah. Queen of Terracin. <laughs> yeah, the lost heir. So she's in Wendlin. It's been two weeks since the king sent her. As we said before, she's drinking, she's gambling, she's fighting. She's just absolutely miserable. She did kind of stalk. She's miserable, but she's just living her life. She's vibing. She's going for it. Yeah, she's vibing. She's having a little vacay before getting her work done, I suppose. But yeah, she ends up like tracking like the royal family at some point, and then she realises everybody loves them, so she's like, I don't want to deal with this. And then, then this sexy fae male finds her and escorts her to her beloved auntie, Auntie Maeve, which I want to say, Maeve, Maeve sorry. <laughs> that gets got so defensive um Maeve sorry <laughs> it's funny how it's a very similar way her journey started from than that of Throne of Glass because in Throne of Glass she gets picked up by Kale in Endovia and sent to Dorian and discuss 
everything that mm-hmm. but and then this one Rowan picks her up and takes her to to Maeve it's just interesting how it's very similar like a parallel if you will again like her story is just starting to begin again is it a retelling of a retelling exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think that's like the theme of this book though is that like it's a journey of self-discovery and like rebirth especially for well Dorian kind of discovers himself and is then captured yeah Kale's got to figure out how to live life on his own, sort of, without Aelin, and Aelin is, yeah, figuring herself out as well. And almost you could say the same for Rowan. Mm, like, yeah. He's on this new journey of, like, self-discovery as well about who he really is and where he's yeah. lived his life. Yeah, for sure. And with that, you know, Rowan and Aelin, they train together, they develop a good little bond. Rowan is incredibly harsh on Aelin. He is incessantly calling her Aelin, which at the time uh, she never wanted to be called that. Yeah. Again, like she doesn't want to accept that sort of responsibility because she knows there's a rebellion growing in her name. Yeah, she's like, no, thank you. Should we talk about as well Rowan slash and his friends' abilities to shape shift? Sure. Into creatures, so Aelin can shape shift as well, but she shapes shape shifts between her human form and her fae form, whereas Rowan and his cadre are always in their fae form, but then they shapeshift to different animals. Yeah. Blueprint for Tamlin. Yeah, blueprint for Akatar <laughs> in general, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And there's another cadre member's specific ability that is a blueprint for winnowing. Yeah, well, we can, yeah, so Fenris, is it Fenris? Yeah, Fenris. Fenris, yeah, anyway, so Fenris, um, his ability is, yeah, he can teleport to various locations and he kind of describes it as in between dimensions and stuff which is but only he can do it in this yeah very short distances yeah so blueprint for winnowing yeah blueprint for Akatar. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah during this training rowan is incredibly harsh on Aelin. he just wants her to be able to control her power teach her about the magic because up until now, like, she's had no real access, except for that moment in that other dimension fighting the monster. Um, she's had, yeah, no real access. Well, she's had um, 10 years of disabled magic, so he's yeah. really keen on getting her to control it and kind of test the waters and see how far she can go, how deep into her well she can sink into. And, yeah, Rowan, he's a bit of an asshole though. Like, morally great yeah, asshole. Yeah, I was really... <laughs> off his vibes but then I was also like oh like this is Reese." <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah true and what would you what would you think your final straw was you know towards a- Rowan's treatment of Aelin when Rowan threatened to whip Aelin yeah final straw and she lost the plot yeah given her uh history in the Indolvia salt mines and being whipped yes but then he like does the whole trope when eventually later on he sees all her scars down her back and he does the whole, who did this to you? And then goes yeah. into like a mad flurry. and Sweetheart mode. Sweetheart, yeah. yeah, and then that's what the t- part of their relationship, when their relationship kind also, of Also, can we talk about, sorry, they do, yeah, end up in some sort of relationship. Spoilers, sorry. But like, can we talk about Sarah J Mass's obsession with... 500-plus-year-old fey yes, and 19-year-old girls. And suddenly their lives, you know, are complete <laughs> after 500 yeah, years. Yeah, their lives are complete. And they would lay down their lives for these 19-year-old I don't know. It's it's the meta. It's the meta these days. She writes a lot of these, like the fey males in particular. They're all arrogant 
and like very up themselves about their ability. Mm. But I think because the excuses they just of have huge dicks and egos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Why else would they? Um, but no, like because it's. I feel like it's easy for her to write them being as five hundred plus years old because you know they've experienced life. They've gone through a lot. Like they almost have a right. And they've survived this long as part of their immortality that they have the right to be arrogant. I feel like it's easy for her to write that. But if you also, yeah, if you get to 500 years old and you're that arrogant already, like, what is the rest of your life going to be? Exactly. So I that's that's why I think, like, it's easy for her to write them off as 500 plus years old and just be arrogant. But then they ha- suddenly have these change of hearts. Like, yeah. Yeah, an insignificant speck on the world. Random moment in history is what changes their lives forever. I think both of them, though, like both series as well, I think they've, like, gone through life and it's kind of like going through the motions and then suddenly, like, there's this 19-year-old girl and they're, like, they can see, though, that she's going to be the change in the world. Yeah, for sure. And, like, that's what gravitates them towards it. It's a much nicer way to put it instead of a creepy vibe. Well done. (laughs) Well done. We turned it around. It's still grooming. And Rowan is really trying to teach Aelin his contr- uh, how teaching her how to control her shape shifting and getting her familiar with her shifted body. Yeah, and he manages to because Aelin's never been able to do it kind of on demand. She doesn't really know how, and I really loved how Sarah kind of wrote this because it was frustrating. It's like I don't know how you do it, but just do it. You know, you should just be able to do it. Yeah, but she also describes like it. Um... Oh my god, I can't think of the word. Transforming? Shifting. She describes shifting as painful. Like ah, right, yeah. Aelin, Aelin does. Like she says, she was like, like ripping like her entire skin and stuff. But yeah, Aelin is struggling with that. And then Rowan has a little experiment where he just bites her. And this triggers Aelin to like change. Was it in a significant moment or just like a training moment? It was in a training moment, but she was like, it was a sexy moment. Yeah. She was backed <laughs> up against the wall. Um... And yeah, throughout her time in Wendland with Rowan, they come across like Val creatures, like uh, what other creatures? Skinwalker creatures, all these Skinwalker. other types of things. And they they're on a little murder mystery as well because they realize like Demifay are being murdered across Wendland. Primarily, there's a lot of yeah Valg lore drops in regards to the word keys and like the word gates and all that type of stuff that gets revealed. I think Aelin also talks explains to Rowan about her past about what happened I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there was a moment where she just tells him she just kind of breaks down yes because that's how she figured out she has to visit her old master she has to I'm pretty sure she explains that whole story for her to then realize oh I gotta go see Abrin and figure out what's going on because because she realizes that's a word key so I think I feel like she does tell a group of people her past and that's when we learn about Marion and Ely Lorcan maybe it's off screen Maybe. I don't know. I really feel like she did. I'm pretty sure she also has a moment where she remembers one day, like, when she was really young, her and Dorian and all that were eating at a table together. Like, I'm pretty sure that's in this book. So, yeah, I just feel like she talks. She has a moment where she explains everything. Because, yeah, that's how Marion and Elid pop up, I believe. Yes. Um, or it could be in the next book, but whatever. There's a lot. There's a lot to get through in this fantasy series. So much that I feel like I, I should know, be this. So, much so o- overwhelmed. And as Rowan and Aelin are growing their bond, we learn of a term called Karanam. 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 Which is where two people's magic are compatible, and they can kind of merge their power together, take from each other to create one giant superpower. Essentially, Allah the die. De, de Marty bond? De Ma- I can't say. The bond between 
um, Feyre and Reese, or Reese and Feyre's like ability. Could it also be like the Parapetai or whatever in Shadowhunters? Yeah, because there's like points in the book where like Aelin will be like, oh, I like, I think it's in italics where she'll like say something and he responds. And I don't, I think I've spoken about this or I was planning on speaking about it. I don't think it's like explicitly um, said that they're like telepathically communicating, but they are kind of communicating somehow. But now that I've said that, I think it's because of something else and you don't know yet. Fair enough. And I'll find ah. out when I get to it. Sorry, Kenzie. I'm, I'm You've almost got like a hundred pages and you'll know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we and we learn in a situation like the like there is a siege with the Valg against Wenlin and against and like Erwin's three there. against like three Valg princes and yeah, Erwin's mm-hmm. there. And you know, Aelin's like in the depths of her power and like Rowan's being held back by his cadre, the assholes. I hated that moment. But then he manages to go to her and like they link the magic and destroy everything. It's fantastic. I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> I had a point at the end. <laughs> I had a point. Yeah, and we just learn. Oh, we- that's the moment we learn that they're both compatible with each other, which is really cool. Fire, fire with wind and ice. Yeah. Um, and they emerge victorious. So we learn of a concept called blood oath, which- blood oaths, which Maeve has over Rowan, Lorcan, Gavriel, Fenris, Connell. And Vaughn. And now that we say Vaughn's name, we realize that Vaughn is another character that kind of gets forgotten about. Bye bye. Bye bye, Vaughn. You do not hear from him after this book, essentially. Or as you said, there may be like a moment later on where he appears. Yeah. He doesn't appear, he's just mentioned. And Fenris and Connell are brothers. So yeah, there's a lot of references back to the cadre because, you know, Rowan has been fighting alongside them for like hundreds and hundreds of years and they all share a blood oath to Maeve and the blood oath is where it's like a magical bound to servitude of somebody. And yeah, and it makes like whatever she orders them to do, they do it. Yeah. And so Rowan is then inclined to answer Maeve's questions if she has anything she asks him anything about Aelin or her plans or what she knows about the word keys, word marks. And she does have a moment where she like asks uh, Rowan something about it and he is resisting to answer and then she starts whipping him. Mm. And then again, that's Aelin's final straw. Um, and she manages to like break his bond and he now has a blood oath to Aelin now. Well, she gets Maeve to break it. And then, yeah, he takes the blood oath to Aelin. Because you read on how it, kind of works in a bit more detail in the next couple of books because it's a magical bond the way they do it like I think she has his she he drinks her blood or sucks on her blood or something and then there's just like a magical bond but then defeating then like be ridding it they just say some words like there's no ritual it's just like oh you are now free of this blood oath like yeah. I don't get it but yeah anyway so yeah Rowan joins Aelin and she starts assembling, I guess, her court members, which is exciting. She's getting ready to go to war. And then what else happens? Maeve becomes scared of Aelin because Aelin shows her a bit of her true power. Because Maeve is scared of fire. Yes. I wonder why. <laughs> and But Maeve is that early on, Maeve was actually quite knowledgeable in answering Aelin all her questions about yeah, the word keys and what she knows. Yeah. But we're all now very suspicious of Maeve because we know she doesn't like Aelin. Um, we learnt that Aelin's mother does not did not 
want Maeve to see her growing up or anything. So why are you hiding from Maeve? What's Maeve's yes. intent? She is dodgy. I do not like her. <laughs> and that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Blood Oaths is a cool concept. I like that concept. Because I think Aelin as well in giving people the Blood Oath says, like, allows them, yeah, to still have their free will. And she just uses it, like, really to protect them. You know what, I'm just going to say it. In Empire of Storms, they describe it as, like, it depends on whoever you're sworn to. For Meeve, it's more of a direct order. If you don't do this, I there will be consequences, you will be dead type of thing. Like, there is no room for disobeying. Whereas with Aelin, it's more of a soft command. Like, yeah. but you, you can do this, but you are of as much of a free will as you can have with a blood oath. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then this is where the sl- kind of slow burn for Aelin and Rowan starts as well. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is cute. Oh, I think the slow burn started when... <laughs> he picked her up. He, he bit her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. That was the moment. Yeah, that was the moment I knew. See, I can't tell you, but I knew from that moment. I was like, oh, there it is. Yep, fair enough. Alrighty, I think we've covered most of what we wanted to cover. I don't think I've yeah. missed anything. Unless there's any like final sort of things you want to talk about? Any particular moments that stand out? I think we have covered a great deal. Just like Sarah J. Mass colors a great deal. Yeah. We've done our best. Yeah, there's a lot of Valg yeah. lore and like the history of like Elena and Gavin as well and how they banished them I or didn't banish over them. The God stuff. Yeah. I get so confused when even like yeah, the slightest it's gods pop There's up. There's so many people. I need a list and like I need a spreadsheet. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I'd probably get a headache <laughs> watching just reading that spreadsheet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about it. I'm quite happy with yeah. with what we've gone through. Yeah. Same. Um. Well, if there's nothing else, thank you guys for listening. Um, keep an ear out for when we talk about the next, the fourth book. Queen of Shadows. I'm gonna say Queen of Shadows is like very close second, very very close second favorite book to Air of Fire. My second favorite is Empire of Storms. Cool, cool. Is it just because of whatever happens in the last hundred pages? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but yes, okay. we'll be back. Hey, thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll be back with Queen of Shadows. Um, any, if you guys have any other like discussion points, thoughts, opinions, uh, check out the Instagram, letterbox underscore book underscore club. Feel free to slide into the DMs. And yeah, catch you next time. Bye. Bye.